A wealthy Texas man once threw a bachelor party for his daughter since she was approaching the age of marriage. He was hoping to find a suitable mate for her. He wanted someone who was courageous, intelligent, and highly motivated. Well, to help find this young man for his daughter, he decided to throw a party, and he took the suitors to the backyard of his wealthy ranch and showed them an Olympic-sized swimming pool filled with poisonous snakes and alligators. He issued this challenge to all these eligible bachelors. He said, whoever dives in this pool and swims the length of it can have one of three things. Number one, you can have a million dollars. Number two, you can have 10,000 acres of my best land. Or number three, you can have the hand of my daughter in marriage who upon my death will inherit everything I own. No sooner had he finished talking to these men, one young man splashed into the pool and reappeared on the other side 30 seconds later. The rich Texan was overwhelmed with the guy's enthusiasm. He said, man, I've never seen anyone so excited and motivated in all my life. He said, I'd like to ask you, young man, do you want the million dollars? Do you want 10,000 acres of my land? Or do you want my daughter's hand in marriage? The young man replied, I don't want any of those. I would like to know who pushed me into the pool. <laughs> you see, that wealthy Texas man issued a challenge to those young men. And that's really an analogy of life. Because life sometimes issues us challenges. Challenges come in many different shapes and sizes. Sometimes it's a relational challenge. Sometimes it's a financial challenge. Sometimes it's a vocational challenge. As we get older, we often have physical challenges. And so those challenges are going to come into our life. And the question is this, how do we respond to the challenges of life? And one of the things that I've learned is challenges will either make you or they will break you spiritually. Challenges are God's greatest means to grow us spiritually, or they can cause us to have setbacks in our Christian life. Well, to see how we're to respond, I would invite you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 7 this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 7 in your Bibles. And we want to pick up at verse 17. And that's going to go all the way to chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. I know it's a long portion of Scripture, and Calvary chapels typically go verse by verse. We'll be doing that this morning, but I promise I won't keep you here an hour and a half. Deuteronomy chapter 7, the title of this message is How to Respond to Life's Challenges. Now let me give you a little bit of the historical context of what is going on here. If you remember, based on the Old Testament, Israel was taken out of Egyptian bondage. And God was going to bring them to the promised land. And in Deuteronomy, a new generation was perched on the plains of Moab, and they were getting ready to enter the promised land. The generation that had come out of Egypt, they had died off in the wilderness. They wandered for 40 years because of their unbelief. Now there's a new generation in the book of Deuteronomy that's about to enter the land. And one of the things that Deuteronomy does is it repeats the law. That's why it's called Deuteronomy, second law. It repeats the law to this new generation. And one of the things that Moses is doing here is he's reminding this new generation not to make the same mistakes that their parents made. But they also needed to recognize that when they went into the land, they were going to face enemies that were bigger and stronger than them they were going to face a challenge that was greater than them. 
And if you read the Old Testament, you realize that the enemies in the promised land, they just didn't lay down and die. Israel was going to have to fight for that land that God had given them. In fact, if you look, you don't need to turn there, but if you look at the verse on the screen, Deuteronomy 9, verses 1 through 2, it talks about the challenge that Israel was facing as they were about to go into the promised land. He says, Hear, O Israel, you are now about to cross the Jordan to go in and dispossess nations greater and stronger than you, with large cities that have walls up to the sky. When you get in there, it's going to look like New York City. The people are strong and they're tall. They look like Shaquille O'Neal. He says, you know about them and have heard it said, who can stand up against the Anakites? And so Israel was clearly facing a challenge that was greater than her. And God knew that they were battling fear. He knew that they were struggling with how they were going to pull this off. And so what we're going to see in this section is God is going to give through Moses several principles by which you and I can apply to our life in terms of how to respond to challenges in our life. Now, obviously, we don't deal with this type of challenge in our life, but we deal with other challenges in our life. And so what are the principles that you and I must apply to our life when we deal with the challenges of life? And listen, you may be in a sweet spot in your life right now. Maybe things are going well for you. And you know what James says? If things are going well for you, don't feel guilty. Praise the Lord. Thank the Lord. But listen, I can tell you this, if you're human, you're going to face challenges in your life. You may not be going through them now, but you're going to face some of them in your life, and God wants us to respond biblically. So let me share with you some responses, jot these down, and I believe they'll help you. The first response that you and I are to have when we deal with life's challenges is we need to reject fear. We need to reject fear. Notice what he says to the Israelites in verse 17 and 18. God says to Israel, you may say to yourselves. Now listen, God knew that they were having an internal conversation with themselves. By the way, we do that as well, don't we? When we're driving, when we're in the shower, we carry this internal conversation with ourselves. And he knew that they would be talking to themselves. And he says, you're going to say to yourselves, these nations are stronger than we are. How can we drive them out? To put it in the vernacular, Lord, I got a bill to pay. How am I going to pay this bill? Father, how am I going to deal with my wayward child? Lord, how am I going to deal with my ailing marriage? Whatever the circumstance in life, and notice what God says to them in verse 17, do not be afraid of them. And if you drop down to verse 21, he says the same thing. Do not be terrified by them. You see, one of the common emotions that we deal with when we deal with life's challenges is we deal with fear. Fear is an all-encompassing emotion. It's one of those emotions that if you don't get a hold of, it will grip you and it will control you. And you see, God knows that we're going to battle fear, but the Bible says that we walk by faith, not by sight. In fact, it says in 2 Timothy chapter 1 that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And yet, we battle fear on a regular basis. And the reason why is we often battle the what-ifs. God, what if this happens in the midst of my challenge? What if I experience financial ruin? What if my child dies? What if my health goes south and no one's able to take care of me? You see, it's the what-if questions. And here is what I've learned. I'm not really that old, but I've learned in life that many of the fears that we often battle with, most of them never materialize. 
And yet we still battle the fears. And God says to Israel very clearly, you need to reject fear. And that's really instructive for us because if we don't reject fear, it will control us. I remember one time I was watching National Geographic and there was this guy that was filming underwater the patterns of certain octopi. And he was watching this particular one and as he was filming it, evidently the octopus felt threatened. And immediately the octopus turned on this diver and took its suction cups and it latched it onto his mask and it wouldn't let go. And the man began to panic as he tried to extricate himself from this particular octopus. And I thought, you know, that's an analogy of fear. Fear often latches its suction cups upon us, and what it does is it sucks the faith out of us. You say, well, Mike, how do I deal with fear? Well, first of all, you can't live by your emotions. You have to live by the truth of God's word. And sometimes that means you have to be very deliberate and say, God, I choose right now not to let fear control me. I choose to let your word control me, and I choose to walk by faith. Sometimes you have to pray, you have to sing praise music to God because fear can become all-encompassing. So let me ask you a question this morning. Are you dealing with some circumstance in life that is greater than you, that is stretching you beyond the bounds of what you feel like you're stretched? I mean, there are times when we get down, we say, God, I don't have any resource left. I am pruned to the stump. You ever been there before? If you're battling fear, God wants you to walk by faith, not fear. And so if when fear comes knocking at the door and you look through the peephole, what you need to do is send faith to the door, not fear. There's a second principle that you and I must apply in dealing with life's challenges. Not only must we reject fear, but secondly, we must remember what God has done for us in the past. Notice, if you will, verses 18 through 20, God says to Israel, this new generation that's about to go into the land, remember, circle that word, remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and all of Egypt. He says, you remember when your parents were in Egypt and I sent the 10 plagues? You remember how I delivered them? You saw with your own eye, eyes the great trials, the miraculous signs and wonders, the mighty hand and outstretched arm, with which the Lord your God brought you out. You remember those 10 plagues? You remember how I delivered you? You remember the plague of the firstborn when I killed all the firstborn of Egypt? And notice verse 19, here's the clincher. The Lord your God will do the same to all the peoples you now fear. In other words, if I delivered you in the past when I took you out of Egypt, I will surely deliver you now. Verse 20, moreover, the Lord your God will send the hornet among them until even the survivors who hide from you have perished. Now this could be literal or figurative. Either he's going to send literal hornets and he was going to drive out the inhabitants of the land. And by the way, if you read the Bible, God didn't use one method. He used a multiplicity of methods, usually to defeat the inhabitants of Canaan. Here, he says, I'm going to take the hornet, whether it's literal or figurative, and he says, I'm going to drive them out. But here's the principle that God is underscoring to his people. I want you to remember what I did for you in the past. I delivered your parents and even you from Egypt, which was the strongest world power at that time. And God says, don't fear the inhabitants of Canaan, because if I delivered you from Egypt, I will surely deliver you now. And this is a very good principle for you and I, because when we deal with challenges in life, 
Many times we need to reflect or remember what God has done for us in the past. And here's the reason why. Because when I look at God's past deliverances in my life, when I look at those specific answers to prayer that God has answered in my life, when I look at how God has provided for me financially in the past, when I face a current challenge, what that does is it bolsters my faith. Because I can say this, God, you helped me in the past, you delivered me in the past, and I'm trusting you to deliver me now. You say, but Pastor Mike, I don't have a history with God. I'm a new Christian. Well, listen, read the biographies of men and women historically that God has answered their prayers like George Mueller and others, and you see how God has worked in the past with other believers, and listen, God will do that for you now. But here's the problem. We develop spiritual amnesia. We develop spiritual Alzheimer's. We forget what God has done for us. I remember when we started a church in Miami, Florida, and we left Miami, we had three weeks to sell our house. Or my credit would begin to go bad. And I have great credit, didn't want to ruin my credit. So my wife and I, we were on our knees praying, saying, God, we're trusting you to deliver us. Well, God did. He provided a buyer. In two weeks, we were able to sell the house, made a little bit of profit, and then we moved to South Carolina. And when I got to South Carolina, I said, God, you provided for me in the past, so I'm trusting you to provide for me now. And guess what? Every step of the way, God took care of us, and I've used this principle many, many times. It's not a way of manipulating God. It's simply reminding God of how he has helped you in the past, and therefore he'll provide and take care of you now. But see, you and I need to remember, we often forget. When I was in cemetery, I mean seminary, when I was going through that, I remember we lived in this trailer park. In fact, some of you may know it. It's in Lexington. It's Basin Rock. And we were living in that trailer park, and uh, they didn't pick up your trash there. You had to, as you were going out of the trailer park, you had to put it in a big dumpster. And so my wife would say to me, you know, would you take out the trash on your way to class? And I said, sure. And so one time I took the trash and I put it on top of the roof of the car. Well, I forgot about it. And so I drove 30 minutes from Lexington all the way, Red Bank, all the way to CIU. And when I got there, I pulled in, and I'll never forget, I got out of the car, and some person came up to me, and they said, sir, your laundry is on top of the car. And I was like, ah, oh, that's not my laundry. I was actually surprised it didn't blow off on the freeway. Well, here's how I corrected that problem. Whenever I took out the trash, instead of putting it up on the hood, what I did, or on top of the roof, I put it on the hood in front of me so that I could see it, and I would not forget it. And you see, that's what you and I need to do. We need to keep it in front of us and remember God's past deliverances. So if you and I are dealing with challenges, we must reject fear, remember what God has done for us in the past. Thirdly, I would have you note, we must rest in God's presence. Notice, if you will, verse 21. God says again to Israel, do not be terrified by them. For the Lord your God, here it is, who is among you. There's the operative phrase, who is among you is a great and awesome God. God is saying, you don't need to fear because I am with you. And you know what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13? God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And by the way, in the Bible, whenever God promises his presence, he's promising his power, he's promising his provision, and he's promising his direction. And you see, whenever you and I go through a challenge, there are many times where we feel like God has left us. Sometimes we feel abandoned by God. 
Do you remember Jesus when he was in the boat with the disciples and a tempest came upon the Sea of Galilee, which was common in that day? What was Jesus doing in the boat? He was sleeping. And you know, there are times where we feel like God is sleeping. When we're going through the storms and the challenges of life, sometimes we're struggling and we're saying, God, where are you? And they woke Jesus up and they said, Master, do you not care that we are drowning? And there are times where we feel like we are going under and we feel like we are drowning. And you know what God says? I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus said, oh, ye of little faith. I remember when my middle daughter, we were up in um, visiting my in-laws in, uh, outside of Pickens. I don't know if you ever heard of Pickens, South Carolina. It's near Greenville, South Carolina. When my three little girls were young, we went to go visit my mother-in-law. Everyone was out except me and my middle daughter, Ashley. And I remember I put Ashley to bed and I was going to get some reading done. And while she was in the room, she said this, Dad, are you there? I said, yes, Ashley, I'm here. Go to bed. Five minutes later, Dad, are you there? I said, yes, sweetheart, I'm here. Go to bed. Don't worry. Third time, Dad, are you there? I said, yes, sweetheart, I'm here. Don't worry about it. You know what? She was scared and she needed the reassurance of my presence. And sometimes when we go through difficulties, challenges, we struggle. We're like, God, where are you? I've been praying about this for a long time and I don't see an answer to prayer and we feel like we're sinking. But listen, we've got to go by the truth of God's word rather than our feelings because God says he will never leave us nor forsake us. And so if you're dealing with a challenge in your life or maybe in the future you will be, the first thing you need to do is reject fear. The second thing is remember what God has done for you in the past. Thirdly, rest in God's presence. And fourthly, I would have you note, you need to reflect on God's greatness. You need to reflect on God's greatness. Notice, if you will, verse 21. And I love this. God says to Israel, do not be terrified by them. Don't be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, who is among you, say it out loud, a great and what? Awesome God. God says, get your eyes off the challenge, get your eyes off the, the enemy and the greatness of the en enemy and get your eyes on me. If you're going to fear somebody, God says, don't fear the inhabitants of Canaan. He says, fear me because I am a great and awesome God. And you know what happens when we deal with challenges in life? We're all guilty of this, and I have to repent of it many times. I get my focus on the challenge, and what happens is it goes from a pinhead to a watermelon. You see, the challenge begins to multiply. It begins to become great. Why? Because I'm taking my eyes off God and the greatness of who God is. One of the things that I like, my wife loves pickles. In fact, you'll notice the jar. You ever seen uh, these types of pickles? The real jumbo pickles. I remember one time I opened the refrigerator and there was one pickle left in this jar. And I looked at that pickle and I said, man, I said, that's a huge pickle. And so I took the jar out, I unscrewed the lid, and I looked down and the pickle shrunk in size. And then I realized that my perspective determined the size of the pickle. You see, when I looked at the pickle horizontally and I saw it through the glass, it was like a magnifier. It made the pickle look really big. But when I took off the lid and I looked at it ver vertically, the pickle shrunk in size. And then I realized my perspective determined the size of the pickle. And so it is with the challenges of life. My perspective determines how big the challenge is. 
I have to choose to see the challenge from God's perspective. How do I do that? I have to focus on the greatness of God. And listen, that's a battle. Because we got to be in the Word of God. That's where I get grounded. That's where I get my perspective is when I'm in Scripture. And so God wants us to reflect on His greatness rather than the greatness of the challenge. Well, there's a fifth principle that you and I must remember when we're dealing with life's challenges, and that is we must recognize that God works progressively when we deal with life's challenges. Notice what he says in verse 22. He says, the Lord your God will drive out these nations before you. We don't like this, but he says little by what? Little. Little. You know, isn't that how often God works in our life, even in sanctification, even in our spiritual growth? We don't see change happen overnight. It's often little by little. Now, I'm not saying God always works this way, but when God was going to drive out the inhabitants of Canaan, he wasn't going to do it all at once. He wasn't going to send some cataclysmic event. There were times where God would rain down, um, you know, all kinds of hail and things to defeat the enemy. But he says, I'm going to do it little by little. He says, you'll not be allowed to eliminate them all at once. And here's one of the reasons why, or the wild animals will multiply around you. And so here's a good principle to remember when you're dealing with a life challenge. Realize that sometimes God does work instantaneously. What do I mean by that? There are times where you'll face a life challenge. Let's say, for example, you got a physical sickness. God, I'm, I'm trusting in you. You are Jehovah Rafi, the Lord who heals. And you pray for healing, God heals you instantly. Or sometimes, rather than heal you instantly, God will heal you through chemotherapy treatments. He works through secondary causes. He could do it instantly, but often God works progressively. You say, well, Mike, why doesn't God deliver instantly? And by the way, as we're going to see, sometimes God doesn't deliver at all. He delivers in a different way. But why does God not often deal or deliver us instantaneously, but rather progressively? Here's the reason why. God is teaching us faith. God is teaching us dependency. God is often breaking us of our self-sufficiency because normally our nature is we don't want to depend on God. We don't want to trust him. And so part of his sanctification process is making us more like Christ. That's what Romans chapter 8 says. And listen, contrary to what we hear in American Christianity, God's number one priority for me and you is not our comfort. It's not our health, wealth, and prosperity. I'm not saying God doesn't bless his people. I'm simply saying God's goal is to make us more like Christ. And he knows that the challenges in life often force us to depend on him. And so he works often progressively. He doesn't work instantaneously. And so we need to remember that. I've had situations where God has provided miraculously financially. He has met the need exactly like I asked him to do. And sometimes God says, I'm going to provide through your job. And sometimes it comes down to the last minute. You ever been there before? That's often how God works. Well, there's a sixth principle as we wind down on dealing with life's challenges. And that is this. We must rely on God's power. We must rely on God's power, especially when we're dealing with challenges. We cannot handle it in our own strength. Notice, if you will, verses 22 through 24. God is going to say three things here that show us that Israel, as well as you and I, must rely on his power. He says, but the Lord your God, notice the focus is on God and his power. But the Lord your God will deliver them over to you, throwing them into great confusion 
until they are destroyed. We see that in the book of Joshua. Then he says, he, that is God, will give their kings into your hand. You say, well, wait a minute, Mike, was Israel passive in this whole thing? Sometimes Israel was passive. Many times Israel had to go in and fight the inhabitants of the land. But ultimately God says, I'm the one who's going to pull this off, not you. I may use you, but in the end, it's my power. He says, you will wipe out their names from under heaven. He says, no one will be able to stand against you. You will destroy them. You know why? Because God ultimately is the one who gives us the power to deal with the circumstances of life. And so here's a principle we must remember when we deal with life's challenges is we must rely on God's power. Because there are many times we deal with the challenge that we can't handle in our own strength. I mean, listen, we're to live the Christian life in the power of God anyway. The Bible says be filled with the Holy Spirit. We got to walk in the Spirit on a regular basis. But when we're dealing with overwhelming circumstances in our life, a financial challenge, a marital challenge, many times we got to get on our knees and we got to say, God, I cannot do this in my own strength. I need your grace and I need your power and your strength. In fact, if you look at the screen here, this woman, most of you probably recognize her. Does anybody know who she is? Joni Erickson Tata. Most of us know her story, how she dived into a pond and she became a quadriplegic. And um, she's been this way for what, 30, 40 years. And she really struggled with God. But she realized she came to a fork in the road in her life where she either was gonna trust God or she was gonna become bitter. And God made to her very clearly that he was gonna use her and she has a ministry called Joni and Friends and she's helped many people who have physical handicaps. But you know one of the things that Joni Erickson Tata says is that she has had to depend on God's power most of her existence in this state because she realizes that she cannot do it on her own. And years ago, she actually was diagnosed with breast cancer. So in addition to this, she had to deal with the breast cancer. But see, she had to rely on God's power. Some of you have heard of the preacher Tony Evans. Tony Evans pastors Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship, Dallas, Texas. Great preacher, great dynamic guy. He tells a story one time, him and his wife Lois were in New York City. And while they were in their hotel room, all of a sudden, everything went black in the hotel room. And he thought to himself, this is funny, what's going on? And so he opened the curtain and he looked and he noticed the hotel room across the street, that hotel, the lights were on. And he could see the people talking and the silhouettes. And he thought, well, why is our power out? And theirs is not. So he went downstairs, walked across the street in New York, went to the hotel room, and he said, excuse me, why is our power out? And this side of the uh, sidewalk here, why is it out? And why is your power on? And the guy said, very simply, we have a generator. You see, the Bible says you and I have a generator. It's called the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives us the power to be able to deal with the challenges of life. And so we must rely on the power of God. You say, well, Mike, how do I do that? I mean, do I plug into an outlet and download that power? No, listen, the power is the person of the Holy Spirit. And you've got to depend on the Holy Spirit for your strength and your energy. Well, there's a seventh principle, and we'll finish up the final two here as you and I deal with life's challenges, and that is this. We must resolve to obey God. Whenever we're dealing with life's challenges, we must resolve to obey God. Notice, if you will, verses 25 and on. He says to Israel, and by the way, this principle was critical if Israel was going to experience victory in the land. 
he says, the images of their gods. See, when they went into the land, the people did not worship the true God. They were involved in paganism. And he says, when you get into the land, the images of their gods, you are to burn in the fire. Do not covet the silver and the gold on them, and do not take it for yourselves, or you will be ensnared by it, for it is detestable to the Lord your God. Do not bring a detestable thing into your house, verse 26, or you like it will be set apart for destruction. Regard it as vile and utterly detest it, for it is set apart for destruction. You know what God is saying? He's saying, when you get into the land, I want you to take all of the paganism there, all of their religious paraphernalia, I want you to take it and I want you to throw it in the fire. And I don't even want you to covet their silver or their gold. You know why? Because God knew, and this happened historically with Israel, God knew that they would intermingle among the people and what would happen is they would adopt the practices of Canaan. And God says, if you want to see success, if you want to see me defeat the enemy, if you want to overcome this challenge, it is contingent upon your obedience. Now listen, this is a critical principle when we face life challenges. We must be living a life of obedience. Now listen carefully. None of us walks with the Lord perfectly. None of us obeys the Lord perfectly. But one of the phenomena in the American church is we have what I call casual Christianity. I call it Sunday Christians only. We have a lot of Christians that come to church, they sing a few songs, they give money in the offering plate, they say praise the Lord, and Monday through Saturday they're not walking with God. They're not interested in a lifestyle of obedience. And here's the thing, when they go through a challenge, they say, oh Lord, please deliver me. Oh Lord, please rescue me. And sometimes God does in an act of mercy and grace. But many times they want the benefits of God without following God. And you see, it doesn't work that way. You see, if you want to see God help you in the midst of your challenges, you got to be living a lifestyle of obedience. And that means your life conforms to the Word of God, and it also means you listen to the directives of the Spirit, because sometimes the Spirit prompts you. Now listen, I'd be the first to tell you, and so would my wife, I'm not perfect at all. That's why we're under grace. God doesn't deal with us according to perfect obedience. He deals with us according to grace because he's a gracious God. But let me tell you what God does look at. He looks at the bent of our life. God's not concerned about the perfection of your life. He's concerned about the direction of your life. That's what he wants. And so if a person says, you know what, I'm not interested in obeying the Lord, I just want to be a Sunday Christian only, but when I get in a fix and I get in a jam, I want God to be the fix-it man. I want God to be the genie in the sky that helps me when I'm going through the difficulty, and it often doesn't work that way. God said to Israel, your success in the land will be contingent upon your obedience. So let me ask you a question this morning. What do you need to throw in the fire? What do you need to throw in the fire? What idol in your life is God telling you, put it in the fire? Is it a relationship? Maybe it's you're not willing to give God your first fruits. And I'm not saying if you're not perfectly obedient, again, I want to repeat that because people walk away going, man, I feel like I'm on this treadmill with God. If I don't perfectly obey him, God's not going to deliver me. Nothing could be further from the truth. But listen carefully, God wants us to follow him. And for some of you, it may be you're not surrendering to the Lordship of Christ. 
It may be you're not putting God first in your finances or you're involved in a sexual relationship that God has said, cut that off. Cut that off, that's not of me. Or maybe you're watching pornography or there's something in your life that God says, you know what, I love you, son or daughter. Put that in the fire. Get rid of it. Well, there's one final principle this morning if you and I are going to deal with life's challenges, and that is this. We must receive the challenge as a test from God. And this is critical. I love this section of Scripture. We must receive the challenge as a test from God. Notice, if you will, chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. He says this. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years. Now remember, they were in the desert 40 years. They wandered. That generation died off. The new generation's going to enter the land. He says, I want you to remember how I led you in the desert these 40 years. Now why did God do that? Well, part of it was chastisement, but notice what it says here. And this is, this is really insight into how God works when we go through difficulties in our life. He says, I did it to humble you and to what? Test you in order to know what was in your heart. You see, there are, something that God, there are some things that God causes in our life, but there are many things that God just permits. And God says, I'm allowing it as a test because I want you to see what is in your heart. Now listen, God's omniscient. He knows everything. God knows what I'm going to do. He knew what Abraham was going to do when it came to Isaac. But you know what? Tests are often not for God. They're for our benefit. Because what they do is they reveal where we're at spiritually. And I don't know about you, but I have faced challenges in my life. And sometimes I fail the test and I go, Lord, there's a lot of junk in my own heart here. And I realize that I'm not as far along spiritually as I thought I was. You know, because like Peter, we can boast. You know, Peter, he had a foot-shaped mouth, right? In fact, people like to say Peter wore peppermint socks because he put his foot in his mouth all the time. And Peter would boast about his glory to the Lord. And what happened? When Peter faced the test, Peter often what? He failed. So God says, I'm doing this to test you, whether or not you would keep my commands. And look what it says here. He humbled you, causing you to hunger. Sometimes God humbles us. God breaks us. God sifts us. God sands us. And we say, oh, Lord, please, I've had enough of the sanding. Lord, you've pruned me down to the stump. Have you ever felt that way before? And God says, I love you, but I'm molding you to be like my son. And he says, I humbled you, causing you to hunger. Then I would feed you with manna. I would take you right to the edge, and you say, God, I'm going under. And God pulls us up. He says, I love you. You're like, Lord, you are there. You did provide. Why did you wait so long? Stretch us. He says, I caused you to hunger. Then I fed you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you. See, God always has lessons that we're to learn. And what was the lesson he was teaching the Israelites here? That man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. He was teaching them dependency. And then he says this, your clothes did not wear out. Your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, here it is, the Lord your God disciplines you. Now we often think of discipline as disobedience, and sometimes 
disobedience or discipline is the result of disobedience, but sometimes discipline in the Bible is training. And here, God says, I want you to remember that you're going to be tested, and I want you to know that I'm teaching you lessons. I'm disciplining you. I'm growing your faith. And so here's the principle as we close. Whenever you and I deal with life's challenges, we got to receive the challenge as a test from God. God is molding us. He's, he's showing us where we're at spiritually, and there are lessons that you and I need to learn in our Christian experience. So let me ask you, what challenge are you facing this morning? Is it financial? Is it emotional? Is it physical? Is it relational? Is it vocational? Challenges come in all different shapes and sizes. And listen, they ebb and flow in our life. We go through seasons where things are going great, and sometimes the bottom drops out and the roof caves in, and sometimes we feel overwhelmed with the challenges of life. How does God want us to respond? First of all, we need to reject fear. Secondly, we need to remember what God has done for us in the past. Thirdly, we need to rest in God's presence. Fourthly, we need to reflect on the greatness of God, not the greatness of the challenge. We need to recognize that God often works progressively, sometimes instantaneously, but many times progressively. We need to rely on the Lord's power. We need to resolve to obey God. And finally, we need to receive the challenge as a test from God. And my prayer for you this morning is that you would respond to the challenge the way God is calling you to respond. Challenges are either the greatest means of spiritual growth or they're the means to keep you from growing in your walk with God. And listen, there are Christians that drop out. They stop coming to church. You say, Mike, are they really saved? I don't know. Only God knows their heart. But sometimes they resist God in the process and they miss the blessing of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word to us, reminding us that Israel dealt with a challenge that was greater than her. And Father, I want to thank you for these principles. I know they've been an anchor in my life. And Lord, I have to keep reviewing them and reviewing them because, Father, our tendency is to forget. Father, I ask that you would strengthen us this morning. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're dealing with the challenge in your life. What has the Lord spoken to you this morning? Is it something that you need to do business with God? Maybe something you need to resolve? Something you need to confess? Or maybe you just need to thank the Lord that you're going through a season of blessing right now. Just take a minute to do that. Father, we thank you this morning for your word to us. Strengthen us this week. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, let's stand together as we uh, worship our great God together.